This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Well, no football then until at the earliest the 30th of April, but we've still airtime to fill and audiences to entertain. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clarkin. Alongside me, three colleagues who are experiencing difficulties through the coronavirus outbreak, but we'll get to all of them. First up, a man who may have even had to resort to writing match reports on FIFA matches. Paul Gorst, how are you? <laughs> it hasn't gotten that bad yet, guy, yeah, but I'm all right. We're plodding on, aren't we? We could be in a worse position, could be in a better one, but uh, on we go. Uh, Theo Squires, you've not resorted yourself to writing transfer blogs on Football Manager yet, have you? No, not quite. I think there's a few transfer rumours still going around, but if you look into the continent, it's just rubbish stuff at the moment. But it gives me something to write. Yeah, the man to rate and review transfers for us at the Echo. And the man who is always enthusiastic, and even during dark times like this, Connor Dunn, how are you, mate? Always optimistic, guys. Still can't stop smiling. And I'm very happy to be joining everyone on the Blood Red podcast today, as always. Yeah, we've plenty to, to get through. Of course, as I've mentioned at the top there, Premier League announcing yesterday that there'll be no football until at the earliest, the 30th of April. We'll get all the latest on that. We're also going to talk about a former Liverpool number nine who celebrates his 36th birthday today before getting on to best and worst signings of our times seeing Liverpool through the years. But first up, let's get into the action and the further postponement that was confirmed yesterday. Gorster, you were working over it and the Premier League obviously acting quickly, coming out with a statement saying no football of any sort until the 30th of April, but the Premier League continuing to be suspended indefinitely. Yeah, I don't think it was a great shock, was it? I think when it was first announced that football would be postponed until the 3rd of April, I think everyone knew that that was slightly optimistic and expected the suspension to be extended. So the news yesterday was no shock. It's been pushed back now to the 30th of April. Uh, gives them an extra, well, just over three weeks for the worldwide pandemic of uh, the coronavirus to hopefully subside. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. The authorities will continue to monitor, of course, and um, hopefully we can have a resumption of this Premier League next month. Um, it remains to be seen. What's going to happen with all the rearranged games that are missed out in the meantime? The Bull will have missed sixth by the time that the return to action at Arsenal on the 2nd of May. That includes, obviously, the Merseyside derby, uh, that huge game at Manchester City. Um, the Bull could have had the Premier League wrapped up and done and dusted in, in this period that they've missed. So um, they still just need six points. Um, still expect them to do it. And I think the most interesting thing from a Liverpool perspective was the fact that it was announced as being um, extended indefinitely, which essentially means that the Premier League will be finished whenever that's going to be. Um, the suspension or the postponement of Euro uh, Euro 2020 for 12 months down the line, that's given the authorities plenty of room to, to manoeuvre across June and July. So uh, this Premier League season will be finished by hook or by crook. And uh, that's great news for Liverpool because they only need two wins and then they are champions for the first time in 30 years. And I think that is the, think- the crucial thing, isn't it? That Liverpool will be champions, Connor. Yeah, exactly. I was just, just going to say there, Guy, but the extended indefinitely, those two words would have probably been music to every Liverpool fan's ears yesterday because the fact that it's in the FA's guidelines that all season, all competition season must be finished by the 1st of June has now just been given as much time as it needs to finish. And that means we can obviously start football when it's safe to do so. But that for Liverpool specifically is, is, is just brilliant because... You know, they were going to set the record for having won the championship the earliest out of any team. And now they're probably going to set it for having won the latest out of any team. But 
you know, it's, it's records either way, but it's records that sees Liverpool clinch the championship. And, you know, I can't be happier about that, really. Yeah, and crucially, Theo, I mean that there's not going to be that star next to Liverpool's name with an incomplete season that Liverpool could have perhaps been champions. We are going to see this through to the conclusion. Yeah, it's definitely the right decision. Like Fans are always going to use it as a stick against Liverpool. If they won the league and it wasn't finished and it was just on a technicality, when you've been waiting 30 years for it, Liverpool needed to win it the right way. And I don't think anyone can claim that they haven't deserved to win it this season. They are by far the best team we've probably seen from Liverpool in their pub's history. And then you're looking at Premier Leagues. There's not very many teams that can rival this side. So it's definitely one for the fans where they can just be relieved. Like They've had this anxiousness now for the last couple of months where the results haven't been, or performances haven't been at their best. And now you can just go, Liverpool can get back to their best. It can take as long as it needs to wait for the pandemic to pass, enjoy the football, and then the party can really begin. Yeah, and I suppose from our point of view, guys, is working on this story and seeing it play out how it has. We've gone from running around the office one week, not knowing how we're going to plan for a title win in the space of a week, to all of a sudden sat in our kitchens and bedrooms and living rooms as I am, all talking over trying to fill some, some time for what could be maybe even up to something like 12 weeks. Very much so, yeah. That's a really strange strange couple of weeks when you say they were all thinking ahead and all worrying that Liverpool are going to finish this title off earlier than expected and we're going to have to work in, into overtime to kind of get our content levels up and whatever else. Um, and now we've got nothing but space to fill for the next you know, six or seven weeks. So really strange time. Um, but as we say, I think the most important thing is, is obviously the fact that this Premier League season will be finished Um Whenever that may be, could could even roll in, into July, couldn't it? And that presents Liverpool with with other issues of their own, with, with the Olympics still on the horizon, still yet to be formally cancelled. I think so. It's going to be an, an interesting couple of months to to be covering Liverpool as in depth as we do here. So we'll have to just uh, crack on and, and see what the future brings. It's it's going to be it's going to be interesting anyway. I'll, I'll say that much. Yeah, and it's, yeah, going it's to been be... interesting. I think. Sorry, guy, go on. Yeah, it's been interesting. I think you know listening to Japan government because I've kept a close eye on the Olympics just because it's the last major tournament or last major competition in the summer not to be cancelled and the Japanese government by all accounts have all intent for it to go ahead because obviously in Asia the coronavirus is kind of coming to a halt so that's going to pose a big question mark over the likes of people like Salah and whether they stay or go but I think to be honest they'll themselves will want want to stay I know during the season when Liverpool look like and have this wrapped up, you know, they can start preparing and thinking I can go and play in the Olympics at Egypt. But I think you'd rather be winning your title, your Premier League title at Liverpool. But it's, it's a massive decision for people if that that competition is still going ahead, if the football still goes ahead with the Olympics. But yeah, it'd be a really interesting one. And I was just going to say, you know, in terms of how strange it is and the decision to move the Euro 2020 to next summer and everything gives Liverpool obviously got umpteen chance to finish this title but as Gorsi said it's a, an interesting proposition over contracts and players out of contracts and things but obviously that'd be something for FIFA to decide but unprecedented times for football really and this is it's certainly very interesting I know Theo we were talking about this morning another kind of unprecedented time where football was off for 10 weeks back in the 1960s for the big three I don't know if you want to talk about that and how football got finished the last time that happened what, me talk about it? I don't think I'm old enough to remember that one, mate. We need an indoor one here. Yeah, it was just um, back in a time where football 
they didn't care much about it in the two days between games. So I don't think it was as anywhere near as late as it's going to go this year because they could just play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday and just have it all wrapped up quickly. But obviously then uh, football was a lot further behind than it is now when it was weather playing havoc. And you couldn't just say, um, are we going to put a roof over the stadium? We've got undersoil heating or anything like that. And then there's the safety of getting to games. Obviously, everything's a lot more forward now. And it's just the safety of the fans getting into games and everything. Um, big freeze. It was just a crazy times then in the 1960s. And it's crazy that we've had to wait, what, 50 years for anything to come close to that to call football off. You just, um, I don't know if you guys remember the Mitchell and Webb sketch, you know, football, there's always matches. It's always going on year in, year out. And this is the first time any of us can remember there's no football. What, what do we do? I think, was, I think it was interesting in that big three season. You obviously had 10 weeks, had 70 days between teams playing games, which is longer than Liverpool will go now if they complete their game and then play against Arsenal in the 2nd of May, isn't it? Um, but they actually, to get that season completed, some teams were playing every day over the course of a week. And I know times have changed. I know football's totally different now. But it just shows you that, you know, footballers can have a more intense schedule and a couple of games a week will get this season done quickly, to be fair. Yeah, well, that's what Gary Neville wants, isn't it? I was going to say, that's what Gary Neville wants. Speaking on Sky Sports yesterday, he says, a festival of football. Let's have nine games in nine days. Let's wrap it all up and get it all done. I think, Gorsley, for you... that they? they would, but I think I for Gorsley, that would be a nightmare of, of having to get everywhere <laughs> on time. Yeah, we've still, still got Brighton, Arsenal. Uh, who else have we still got to play away from home? Get in I the mean, little echo plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Flying with the players, like the old school. I mean, it's... I mean... The disappointing one was the Merseyside derby, I think. I mean, that looked like it was going to go ahead, didn't it? Up until the Friday and then it was postponed on the Monday. Um, I mean, the backlog is going to be incredible because, you know, Liverpool themselves are going to have six games. So you'd imagine other teams are going to have six or seven. You know, you look at Manchester City, they had, I think they had three postponed, didn't they, before it was actually announced last week. So um, as and when they're going to fit all these in, is you know, it's going to be a logistical nightmare. But... Because European championships have been postponed, it gives them quite a lot of time to to fit that around. And as you say, when the season's finished, you know if it if it drags on till August, you know that sounds ridiculous. But if it does, at least we know that it will be finished um, as and when it is. I think it's that's quite a point. It's quite lucky for Liverpool that they're out the Champions League, they're out the FA Cup. Because if the Premier League wanted to schedule it, they could just do a game every midweek, every weekend and get it done. Whereas you look at Manchester City, granted they're not really in a title race anymore, but their week, midweeks are going to be dictated so much by those cup competitions they're still in. And it's one of those where we've gone from, in the space of a month, Liverpool iron up, what, quadruple, whatever, winning all these trophies to, you're just happy now for the Premier League, you just want that done. Yeah, it definitely does seem the case that that is what, what everyone wants done. But, Connor, you mentioned before about contracts, and I know it's something that has been bubbling under that people have spoken about. Obviously, Adam Lallana looks like he's going to be leaving Liverpool, but not just on the players' side of you. Obviously, a big thing that we've been covering through the course of the year is the court battle between New Balance and Nike. Is there a possibility here that we could see Liverpool lifting the league title in a Nike strip, having only played in it maybe a handful of times? Or, or maybe playing in it once and, and winning it on that occasion. Yeah, it certainly seems like an interesting one. The New Balance contract runs out on the 1st of June. So that's when kind of Nike would be taking up and heading into the summer, getting all of their stock out and shirts on. So you'd think that 
you know, contracts would be settled and that Liverpool will be in a night kit when they coming into June, if they're still playing games in June and then the whole season isn't decided by May, it'll be an unbelievable time for New Balance, really, because obviously they would have had their final couple of seasons with Liverpool winning the Holy Grail, with Liverpool winning the Champions League, and they probably would have been able to do something off the back of that, but then they could be losing out on this. So I think they may be looking at that from a financial perspective with Liverpool, and that's another thing, another hurdle the club are going to have to overcome. I mean, Nike are obviously going to be paying Liverpool a lot, a lot of money, so that's going to bring a huge amount of cash flow into the club. So I don't know if a little bit of that might end up having to go to New Balance with the fact that they're not going to get all these shirt sales off the back of a Premier League title win. Yeah, I spoke to one or two people this week about this this issue and um, they told me that Liverpool have yet to make a definitive call over what's going to happen with that. I mean, it seems strange that Liverpool play an entire season in this New Balance kit that's probably going to be a record-breaking uh, kit in terms of sales seems to be every year the new balance kit seems to grow and, and get larger sales so they're going to play the entire season in this kit and then if they have one or two games that run into June they're going to be celebrating the kit in in a new night kit and it seems terribly unfair on new balance a, a company who've um, saved the pool well over the last five years they? they've come up with so many uh, famous kits that, that we'll all remember and for them not to have their brand on the images that are going to be beamed across the world when Liverpool lift this Premier League title, it just seems really harsh. Um, tried to, to speak to someone from New Balance about this and they said that they weren't commenting on it at this stage and Liverpool have yet to make a decision on what happens with that. And OK, it's not a huge issue in, in the wider wider scope at the moment, but if Liverpool do win this league and they're lifting it in a night kit that they've won once or twice... Um, those images are going to be remembered forever, aren't they? And, and they're going to be shared and they're going to go all around the world. And it's not really going to be right on New Balance, but we'll wait and see what happens with that one. It's another one that we'll be waiting on. They'll be like, damned if they do, damned if they don't. Because you think back to previous seasons, when uh, Liverpool have been allowed to wear the new home shirt on the last home game of the season, it's always been in the season when it, it's sort of done. Where When it's a season where they've been successful in that year, they haven't worn the new kit because they almost want to let that shirt be there for the final memories, have that all-over moment. Whereas if you're New Balance and that contract's run out and Liverpool is saying, right, this is what the contract says, we are going tonight now for those last games. If you're them, you've got to be thinking, well, you want legal action here. Because you could look at this contract, obviously we don't know the ins and outs of it, but it's going to say it's a season 2019-20 home shirt. So you're expecting for that for two years of the season. They're going to want their image on this shirt for those games where Liverpool do win the Premier League title and then, but then if you're Nike, they can do the exact same thing. They're going to have pressure from both sides now saying, you should be wearing our shirt for these games. And with New Balance, it's one where what have they got to lose if they do put pressure on Liverpool and try and get some extra money out of this? Because they know this is their last chance to get their brand all over the planet and what is going to be the biggest triumph in Liverpool's modern history. And in fairness, you've got to think Liverpool owe a New Balance a little bit when you consider the kit makers that Liverpool have had, I'm not going to take a, an absolute dig at some of them, but some of the slogans and some of the kits that have been in a few few recent years of, before New Balance came in weren't exactly the best, in my opinion. Um, you know, New Balance took it on. Adidas didn't want Liverpool and things like that. So you think maybe Liverpool owe New Balance a little bit as well. It's an interesting, an interesting conundrum for the club. And again, money will probably talk. 
Yeah, I'm sure it certainly will, and that certainly will be the case. Before we move on, just sort of the last uh, few on the current climate, obviously, we, we find ourselves in for now. Obviously, we discussed on, on Friday's Blood Red podcast that measures could be taken and football being suspended and, and whatnot, and could football continue behind closed doors seeing today obviously that the situation how it is social distancing becoming more and more the buzzword do you think Gorsty that we're, we're probably going to get to a stage where if football is to resume even if that's June July or, or whenever it is that actually behind closed doors games could eventually become something that, that people can get on board with um, I mean as you say get on board with it. I mean people might have to reluctantly do that um, yeah It'd be so sad, wouldn't it, to see Liverpool win that first league title for 30 years and Jordan Henderson lift that title aloft and there's no one there to see it. It's it's almost like that old uh, philosophy question, isn't there, with three falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, did it actually happen? Um, it's it's it just I just can't fathom how strange that would be, you know, such a momentous moment with no one there to see it. It's sport for the sport's sake, it's sport in, a, in its own little vacuum and no one there to watch it, but that might still be a possibility. It'd be a real shame if it was, but if the uh, ongoing spread of COVID-19 continues and, and whatnot, then there will be little little choice because there's been some suggestion that it could take upwards of 18 months before everything is, is back to normal in this country and, and across the world. So um, sport and the decision makers are very much going to be guided by um, the medical advice. So, Behind closed doors could be a possibility. It'd be a shame to see it happen, but um, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. That's just it, though. We obviously we're in unprecedented times, and nobody really knows what's going to happen. But I'm sure Liverpool fans faced with the choice of no games, cancelled season, no trophy, or games behind closed doors. You can watch it on TV. They're going to take this latter option every single time, and I imagine, you know. I hope it doesn't come to that. I think everybody hopes it doesn't come to that because, as Gorsi said, it would be a massive, massive shame. But, I mean, in another set of events, you could, when football does properly restart and fans do come back into the stadiums, I can imagine Liverpool being having that trophy pitch side or parading that trophy on the games or the first Anfield game. So, obviously, it's not the very moment when Henderson lifts it, but then they could still have the first moment where everyone sees Henderson lift it live. So, I don't know. There's probably workarounds if it does come to that. But again, as I say, I really hope it doesn't. Depends if the bodies want to be patient with it. Because now you're saying that the league is going to be finished whenever and you've not got a time limit on it. Uh, I think you can have one eye on the 2022 World Cup. We already know that's going to disrupt a season by being in December. You've got the potential there to reshape the whole English calendar around that. So you can just finish the Premier League this season when you want, when it's safe, not only for the fans, but for the players as well. And then if you've restructured the calendar, so you've got a season where it finishes either side of a World Cup, you have got those months there to play into going forward. It's going to be interesting what they want to do. I think we're going to know a lot more when we get to this next deadline at the end of April. They're going to know then whether they're close to, say, doing behind closed doors in May, June time, or if it is going to be another two, three months before they can even look to resume football. 
Yeah, it does feel like it's one of those measures where football being one of the first things to, to sort of be closed down, obviously mass gatherings, it falling under sort of that bracket, as well as obviously the competition fairness of if players are getting infected, which for me, I think was probably the, the, the final nail in the coffin this time around in terms of that initial suspension. But we will have to wait and see and see how that unfolds, of course, on the Liverpool Echo and here on Blood Red. We will endeavour to keep you updated with all, the, all of the latest as it happens. But time now to perhaps rewind the clock and go through a bit of nostalgia which might just become before somewhat we, uh, of a... Move on to this, can yep. I address the elephant in the room guy? My mirror? No, what's on your head? <laughs> oh, my uh, my microphone, yeah. it's. I mean, we're all, we're all working with workarounds. I thought you were on about the, 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 nice, for those, the nice mirror. For those of you could... watching this on, on YouTube, or those of you listening to this on, on a podcast and not watching on YouTube, I say, Guy's doing his, his best impression of a Clive Tilsley back in the day. <laughs> Well, he's a proper commentator, isn't he? I was going to say, effectively, Connor, that's exactly what I'm doing because I, I've just got out my, my radio equipment to uh, to bring this to our, to our loyal, loyal audience. We weren't going to let them down, and at the end of the day, we've had to uh, we've had to keep it going in any the way. Cable, but... The cable tie microphone head is my favourite. Yeah, that that's actually for a windshield. Obviously, we're not going to get any wind. I could, I could well have taken that off because I'm inside. I'm not going to be going outside anytime soon. But yeah, it's You're uh... going to commentate on like making lasagna or something like that. Bring us videos like that. No, that is. I will leave that to Clive Tilsley because he is okay. the absolute professional. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Back to the podcast, back to the matter in hand and <laughs> on to, as I say, I think something that will probably become somewhat of a forte for us guys. We're going to have to brush up a lot on our, our footballing history, though. I know you you three fellows in particular have great knowledge, certainly on the, uh, the recent history, which we're going to delve into now. Today marks the 36th birthday, believe it or not, of one El Nino Fernando Torres, who joined Liverpool back in 2007. I know we spoke about him in the, the summer in a special Blood Red podcast when he effectively retired from European football and moved out to Asia. But we're going to rehash it and talk about him now, about memories of him. And I suppose for, for all four of us, he's a guy with a very profound impact on certainly formative years growing up and seeing the Liverpool number nine smashing the ball into the back of the net. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think growing up for me, Liverpool always had a, a number nine. A, a, you know, Michael Owen was a number 10, but in terms of like an absolute predator of a striker, we had the inrush and then Robbie Fowler, Michael Owen. And then between 2004 and 2007, he didn't really have one. Milan Barros, Dribble Cisse, Morientes, no one, Peter Crouch, no one really was the, the iconic, you know, superstar centre forward until Torres came and I thought when they signed him he was a 20 million sign and everyone knew who he was but he wasn't quite the uh, world beater that he went on to become at Liverpool but from that first game I think it was um, the thing is that his debut was at Aston Villa but his first game at Anfield when he strolled past Tal Benahim after latching onto that through ball from Steven Gerrard stuck it away past Petr Cech I think Liverpool realised that he had something special and for the, for, for the next three years he was um, what an absolute superstar of a footballer left in disappointing circumstances it has to be said Liverpool got an absolute incredible amount for him when you look look back at what he went on to achieve at Chelsea didn't really get anywhere near the heights leader downfield and 50 million was a, an incredible amount of money but for three years at Liverpool he was the him and Didier Drogba were probably inseparable as the world's best strikers yeah we'll get yeah, on to that with me go on yeah for me this was the signing really that showed Liverpool meant business and they were kind of like getting back to business where 
I always hoped they would be. Um, as Gorsty was saying then, I guess we'll come on to talk about our favourite moments in a minute. But that goal against Chelsea, it was just it was just so special for so many ways. Obviously, it was an amazing way to announce yourself to the Anfield crowd, that incredible turn of speed. I just like I loved every second of it, but it was just that start, that beautiful, beautiful partnership between Gerard and Torres, just those perfect balls, those fine finishes, those turns of speed. And it was just clearly the start of something magical. And he was just I, I love Fernando Torres and I'm, I'm sure it'll come out in a minute. <laughs> Someone where he joined as well, there was that hype, that expectation, that hope about him, but you didn't quite know how good he was and you certainly didn't expect him to go and achieve what he did. But I think the first time I was properly aware of him was probably the 2006 World Cup. I'm not sure if he scored against, but I'm pretty sure he scored like a decent volley in that tournament, if I'm remaining, um, remembering correctly. And he was someone that was always linked with Manchester United. And you just never really thought Liverpool could go and sign him. But it was always that potential. His next hot shot, the striker. And you looked at his goal scoring returns and it's like, oh, he's still doing all right in Spain for Atletico. But he's not a 30-goal-a-season striker. And then he came to Liverpool and he was a 30-goal-a-season striker. The best comparison now, I suppose, is if you say to Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane. You look at them, you see what they've done in patches. Do you think they're good players? Can they take it up a level, a level at Liverpool? And you don't expect them to immediately because it takes time to bed in. But they hit the ground running and boy, do they succeed. And then it's only when they go and you watch the goal compilations, you realise how good they really were. Like we, we're about to list, aren't we? All the great Torres moments, this variety for some of his goals, whether it was beating three men and putting it in the bottom corner or cutting inside and bending it in the top corner from 25, 30 yards. He was such a good finisher. And it's just criminal that not only did he leave the way he did, that the last 18 months of his Liverpool career was decimated by injury. He could have been so much more if it wasn't for his body. Yeah, I think you're completely right there. And I, I think I'll just sort of echo what you guys have said. And that relationship with Steven Gerrard, for me watching on from afar, it was a case of not only was Fernando Torres a brilliant player in his own right, I think he was second in the 2008 Ballon d'Or. I might be wrong with the year there, but I know he was certainly second yeah, he was one year. in the year, wasn't he? Yeah, because exactly, he scored the goal in the final that, that beat Germany for, for Spain in Euro 2008. But for me, it wasn't only what he did as an individual as a player for Liverpool, it was what he did for Steven Gerrard, because Gerrard, of course, had, had carried the team to the 2005 Champions League final. He'd won the FA Cup single-handedly almost against West Ham the following year. Yet when Torres came in, it was then somebody to help share the load, as it were, for Steven Gerrard, which perhaps, I suppose, enabled Gerrard to carry on a bit longer and then form that partnership with Suarez. Yeah, I mean, what um, what Gerrard did when Torres came in is eventually Rafa Benitez moved him from someone who's playing central midfield or maybe on the right side of midfield to uh, a number 10. Um, not your traditional number 10, if you think of someone like David Silver, who's probably the archetypal number 10, isn't he, in in modern football. Um, Gerard was like a, a rampaging um, central attacker midfielder who got beyond Torres, who laid them in with, with all kinds of passes. And, and the pair of them set each other up. It was just fantastic to watch. Uh, with Xavi Alonso and Javi Mascherano mopping up behind them, it was... Um, Special time to, to be watching uh, Rafa Benitez in the pool. Uh, Benitez had this reputation as not being the most um, expansive coaches and, and he was very much all about your discipline and, and you keeping your shape. But when he had Torres and Gerard in that nine and ten role, they, they were unbelievable and um, probably should have won the Premier League title. That Manchester United team who beat them to it was, was you know, incredible. Um, Champions League winners and, and whatnot, but... If Liverpool had attained just a few more draws into wins that season, they would have won the Premier League title and, and Gerard and Torres were the ones who led the charge. 
interesting what you said there, Guy. I'd actually never really thought about actually Torres laying the groundwork for Gerard and Suarez's partnership, but it definitely, definitely did. When you look back over how many or how identical Gerard probably played with Torres and with Suarez in a similar type of quick, like you can take the ball and turn on a, on a sixpence and put the ball in the bottom corner, it just it developed Gerard as a player, definitely. Torres definitely brought Gerard on. Obviously, it brought him up the pitch, but it definitely brought him on to deliver like final, finer, final parties. And that, obviously, with him and Suarez, we saw was just devastating as well. So, yeah, it's an interesting thought. This one where you look at Steven Gerrard, and he was probably at his best for Liverpool when he was winning games by the scruff of the neck, when he was the best player on the pitch by an absolute mile and his teammates weren't up to scratch. You just need to look at the 11 that started that Champions League final in 2005. But we saw glimpses of when you put him with quality, quality players, that is what he could have achieved. So if he had been in this Liverpool team, for example, it would have been even better. You appreciate how good a player they were together. And I think the goal stands out for Gerard and Torres. It's that Newcastle one, isn't it? Like the most perfect through ball from Gerard, the little dummy, and then he just slots it in the net. And that was happening on a weekly basis. It is one of the great Liverpool partnerships. And Liverpool's history has been built on these. When you think of, say, Toshak and Key and Gunn, Russian Dalgleish, Gerard and Torres is very much up there. Yeah, I don't think anyone would, would be disagreeing on that in terms of the partnership for those guys. So we, we best get into then, first of all, best Torres goal memories. I mean, Theo, you've already mentioned one there. Connor, you're absolutely bursting ready to, to let us go on this. You can go first, Connor. But also, not only do I want to sort of hear your favourite goals and things, but also where you think he ranks in terms of pure strikers for Liverpool this team obviously currently plays really without a, a real focal number nine but when you think through the years as Gorsty listed off before the likes of your Fowlers your Owens your Suarez's as well in terms of the Premier League era and just before you go uh, Connor just the, the best stats for Fernando Torres 91 starts 65 goals in the Premier League he had 102 appearances overall but 91 of those were starts he was absolutely lethal but Connor which of his goals was your favourite? Look, we've spoken about this before, but Manchester United ruined my childhood. <laughs> when Torres put Vidic on the floor, left him in a heap and ran away to score that equaliser at Old Trafford, I was screaming. And like, I actually like cannot get over. I've got others and I like, I love other goals. But it's just the fact that, that who it was, what happened and just how that little moment transpired while Vidic watched on, sat on the floor. Torres put the ball in the back of the net and I was just I was so buzzing. I'm still buzzing about it now. For me, the, the one at Blackburn always stands out, or the one against Blackburn when Carragher just clips a not so much a, a, a nameless point. It's an optimistic clip forward, isn't it? And Torres takes it on the chest away from goal and in one swivel it's uh, it's volleyed into the opposite far corner, into the back of the net. That was always a the, the aesthetically that was probably his best goal for me. But there was one against Marseille as well in the Champions League when Liverpool really needed to to win to to stay in the competition. I think it was quite early on, and he just dribbled away from about three or four of them and stuck it into the bottom corner. Really eased Liverpool's nerves on the night, and but the, probably those two that, that stick out off the top of my head. Uh, for me, Torres is robbed of the big moments. Like, the great European nights for him, but with Liverpool not winning those trophies, you're not going to have the same memories looking at his career now that you're going to look at, say, Mane, Salah and Firmino in a few years. We can say, oh, this was a big moment for Liverpool going on to win a trophy. So 
the league goals, there were some great league goals. Like I remember um, Chelsea when he spent it in the top quarter his last season. There was one um, Sunderland where he's cut inside and scored from a ridiculous angle. The Blackburn one that Gorsty's just mentioned. But it's got to be the European ones in the knockout stages. So for me, Inter Milan, the San Siro, the way he took it down in his chest, turned. It was such a vital goal for Liverpool. Like San Siro, it was one of these uh, cauldrons of European football. And to go and get that away goal there, it was vital. I think um, another vital, a, a big goal for him would have been, I'm pretty sure he scored in the Arsenal, the 4-2, didn't he? I know you love that one, Guy. Um, that was a big moment for him as well. That, those are the moments you've really got for Torres, just because those are the games that we cherish most from that time. That Arsenal goal, actually, where Crouch knocks it down, I think it's the opening goal in that game, isn't it, Guy? Yeah, I believe, so. <laughs> I believe, I believe you're right, boys. Yeah, that's, to be honest, that is another one that's really up there for me. And I think if you're talking about in terms of performances as well, you've got that red in hat-trick and then another goal where he twists and turns inside out when he was against Derby. It's just just got some wonderful memories for Torres, to be honest. But to go back to your original question, Guy, as well, about where Torres ranks as out-and-out strikers at Liverpool, you've, he's, he's, he's got to be up there because, you know, you've obviously got, you've got Suarez who probably takes the absolute biscuit when you're talking about the best striker that I've probably seen. What a I phrase that is, by the way. Huh? What a phrase that is, takes the biscuit. I can Far tell you I've been getting biscuit. through a fair few biscuits at home as well, but less <laughs> on that. <laughs> no, but then I, I I personally, obviously Fowler came, like, was an absolute goal-scoring hero through my very early years, but I fell in love with Liverpool really watching Michael Owen and, you know, he was a devastating one for me, so my top three would probably have to be Suarez, Torres and Owen. Do you want to go now, Gosty? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, it'll always be Robbie Fowler for me. He'll always be number one in terms of... You're slightly older than me. ...in the Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> um, Torres, Torres has been... He's been afforded a lot of lot of forgiveness over the years, considering the way he left. Liverpool were, were in the doldrums at the time and he went to a team Liverpool hated more than any other than Manchester United and, and probably Everton. Um, so the history's been kind to him, I think. Um, he was a fantastic player, no denying that, so was Luis Suarez. I'd probably say Fowler, Suarez, Torres just ahead of Michael Owen, who was another one who left in. Um, controversial circumstances, shall we say. For me, Torres... Look, there wasn't enough of it. Like he was brilliant in 2007 and 8. Uh, 2008-9, he was great again, but he was injured for too much of the season. Like Gorsty mentioned earlier, if they'd turned more of those draws into wins that have won the league, if Torres had been fit for that whole season, they'd have won the league. Uh, so you can't rank him as the best just because he didn't play enough football at his best level for Liverpool. And that is probably why I'm going to have Luis Torres as the very best. Because granted, that was a season where we saw him as an elite performer. But he just didn't miss games. He was sensational in a poor Liverpool team. Uh, in contrast, Torres was having the ball put on a plate for him from Steven Gerrard, from Xavi Alonso. Um, Robbie Fowler is the best finisher I've ever seen, Gorsty's ever seen. I know Connor's a little bit younger than us, so I'll forgive him that one. So Fowler's second, even though he too had his injuries, but he was brilliant at such a young age. Like What you compare Fowler to is Mbappe now. He had that level when he first burst onto the scene in the mid-90s. And then Torres is third, just because there was more variety to his finishes. There was more quality. Whereas Michael Owen, he was just quick poetry. He missed a lot of chances, but he was just in the position to miss them. So I think there was a bit more substance to Torres as a player. 
Okay, guys, and I know we've we've actually sort of in in thinking how we're going to fill time, we fill plenty of it, but we are going to quickly just before we go wrap through uh, a piece that's coming up on the, over the weekend on the Liverpool Echo, which is the guys all choosing sort of their their favourite and least favourite signings during their times watching and supporting Liverpool. So we'll go around the the, the same way again, Connor. You to to kick us off. Give us who you, your favourite signing is and why, and then just follow it on with the worst and why, and we'll make our way around. So for me, Jordan Henderson is the player I picked for my favourite Liverpool signing. It's really difficult because there's been so many players, especially in the last few years, that have been absolutely sensational. And I know we'll probably mention them because you can't not when you're talking to Alisson, Van Dijk, Salah, Mane, Firmino. It's just, the list is, just goes on. But when you think about him coming in his first, well, first season, he was going to get sold to as part of like a deal to bring Clint Dempsey from was part of this Brendan Rodgers deal and obviously that left Henderson pretty upset his early years at Anfield he was ridiculed he was labelled a liability then he was asked the captain most of the shied away stepped up just massively for me embodies what it is to be a Liverpool player and obviously now is such a vital part of how Liverpool work and an absolutely again a vital vital cog of just Liverpool actually getting to win things and he's a leader he is yeah, he just epitomises what it is to be a Liverpool player, his work ethic, what he demands off people. And even still, apart from all of that, you can't really describe quite what Henderson gives to this Liverpool team. So I couldn't really pick anybody else for that one, to be honest. Do we want to go around the best of the best rather than taking it on a, on a low note after one? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Gorsley, I'm going to just quickly say, for me, I think the best signing on a very similar note is James Milner. Not only coming in on a free transfer, played so many different positions. He's been missed a dependable time and time again. And also, at the same time, weakening the, uh, the biggest rival that Liverpool have for the title at the moment. And that, of course, being Manchester City. Gorsley, what about yourself? Well, my favourite time I've gone for when Robbie Fowler returned in January 2006, um, just because of uh, should never really have left. Judy left under a cloud to go to Leeds after falling out with uh, Phil Thompson, I think. It's great to have him back, who's my childhood hero. So he's my favourite. But I think in terms of the, the transformation of the team, it's got to be Van Dijk, hasn't it? Um, absolute elite centre-back, the world's best centre-back, shining up for a team who needed one. And Liverpool have only gone on strength to strength since he signed. So my favourite's Fowler, um, but... Uh, probably the, the the best hand he made would have to be Van Dijk. Now I've approached this slightly differently because I've done it as my favourite at the time because we can say how many players are great and you've loved them as they've come along but most players have signed for the clubs. It's that initial feeling when no, they no, join the club. Yeah, it's far in. Now it's that, um, it's nothing beats uh, nostalgia. So for me, it's got to be Robbie Fowler as well. Like for similar reasons to Gorsty. Like you can be excited signing a Fernando Torres or a Luis Suarez, but you will never really know what you're going to get from them in that first few weeks. And there was hope and there's optimism. Whereas Robbie Fowler, we'd seen how great he was. We knew he wasn't going to be at that level, but you still were just delighted to see him back at Anfield, pull on that famous red shirt again. And there wasn't a happier person when you saw him score that first goal when he's come back. And he, there's a reason the cop call him God. That It was just the perfect signing for Liverpool. That is what football is about. That's why fans love football for moments like that. Yeah, and we best go around then on the on the worst ones. It can be as, as short as you like. Mine would just be two words, Alberto Aquilani, because I think he completely, absolutely flopped and didn't live up to any expectation that there was around him. But Connor, again, you can you can start us off on this. Mine's three words. It's El Hajj Youth. 
I can forgive him for being useless. Um, I think what he scored six goals in 80 appearances and big money striker, terrible, came with a bit of promise. But I mean, he's just a disgrace of a person to ever wear the Liverpool shirt and I could not be any more aggrieved at the fact he actually wore it. <laughs> yeah, it was- yeah, same. Ella Shufani signed in 2002 for, I think it was a club record at the time, around about 12 million. Um, and he, he'd gone all the way to the quarterfinals with Senegal in the World Cup and he was their main man. I thought Liverpool had signed the player who was going to win them the league and he started well. He scored two on his debut against Southampton and then it quickly unravelled. Um, not only was he a, a, a poor player for Liverpool, he was a terrible professional, spitting at opposition fans. Um, and now all he seems to do his mouth, mouth off about Carragher and Gerrard, so it's got to be him for me. I've not gone to you just from the same feeling because there was excitement when he joined Liverpool. There was that hope that he would be all right and he did have a good World Cup. So I'm going for one that I never wanted Liverpool to sign. There was no excitement about him at all. You're watching the deal unfold. He's like, why is this happening? And that's Paul Koncheski. Just because Roy Hodgson's brought him along and you knew he wasn't going to be a good signing. You knew he wasn't up to scratch. And then you look at the deal itself. He cost £3.5 and two of Liverpool's best youngsters went the other way. One of them had only just made his debut for the team like the week before in Laurie Dallavalle. Um, the other one, Alex Kakanek, which he ends up being a Sweden international. Now, granted, these two youngsters haven't gone on to achieve much in the game, but Robson came out and admitted that he didn't mean to sell Kakanek, which he got his players muddled up and he meant someone else to be part of the deal. And it just screamed how wrong everything was. And the fact that Kornjeski, he was gone with, what, less than six months? He was on loan in the Championship. That says it all. He was not good enough for Liverpool. You don't get excited about full-backs. We're delighted to see him go. Never wanted him at the club in the first place. He's got to be the least favourite signing. Well, a nice, bright, cheery note to uh, to wrap this episode of the Blood Red podcast on. Thanks for that, Theo. Make us all feel a lot better whilst we're, we're stuck indoors. But, of course, the Blood Red podcast will continue. We'll be back on Monday. There's the uh, plenty of the regular podcasts as well that are continuing. Analyzing Anfield is already on the channel. Have you uh, not already caught up on it? As well as we'll be throwing in a few new podcasts and videos into the mix as well, including some more nostalgia, some classic matches all coming up. But uh, Connor. I'm Paul Gorst and Theo Squires from myself, Guy Clark. It's thanks a lot for joining us on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. And until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.